0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Happy uh, spring forward weekend, daylight saving time, yay, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes! How many of you uh, um, lost an hour? Like, actually, like, just decided, well, I'm going to miss an hour and stayed up the same time you normally stay up. All right, so you're extra tired. How many of you uh, went to bed early? Wow. Good for you. I didn't. Um, <laughs> so I'm tired, but I am excited about what we're going to do today. We're going to do today something I've never done, and that is I'm going to do an entire series on just the cross. Now, we've done like one or two weeks on the cross, and but I'm, we're going to do a month on the cross. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack... The very last words of Jesus Christ. You know, um the last words of anybody. You know when you know you see those movies when they're like the guy's been shot or he's dying and they're holding him in their arms and they're like uh, come here. And then they reach in and they're like and you're like, ah, oh, you know, what were they going to say? It was the secret of the universe. It was it was who killed him. It was, you know, whatever. It was the last words that are spoken on the lips of someone are often considered some of the more, uh, you know, thoughtful and important and valued. And uh, actually what we're going to look at, these aren't the last words of Jesus. They're the last words of Jesus on the cross because he rose again from the dead. And he had a lot more to say after the resurrection. But we are going to take a look at the last seven phrases he said just before he died. And he said them all on the cross. So we're going to be talking about the cross. And the cross is more than a piece of jewelry. It is more than a work of art. And it is more than a symbol of suffering. It is violent. It is ugly. It is brutal. It is bloody. And it is beautiful. The cross is the most important foundation of a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is how the apostle Paul, sorry, uh, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we're going to spend the next several weeks heading into Easter on just the cross. And on that cross, Jesus pours out forgiveness to his torturers. He shows compassion and care for others. He acknowledges aching humanity. And he spouts scripture as if it was from his blood itself. It was coming from his, his very soul. Dependent upon the Father, he remains faithful to the brutal end. More than a mere man, he is God in the flesh. Here to rescue and redeem to die and rise again. And these last words before his death hold extreme importance. So I'm uh, looking forward to these seven phrases. Now, you're not going to find any of these in one single book of the Bible. The Bible is made up in the New Testament of four books called the Gospels, which mean the good news. Gospel means good news, news which must be proclaimed to everyone and told and shared life-changing news. That's what the gospel means. And there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by four different people, telling the story of Jesus from four different perspectives and four different emphasis. And what's known as the harmony of the gospel. Have you, Anybody inquire before? Anybody ever been in choir? You get tenors, you get baritone, you get alto, and you get sopranos. You might have a first, second tenors or sopranos. But when you get together, you have these individually. They they sound beautiful if they're a good singer. But together, they produce this harmony of of just a whole complete story of music. When you take all four gospels, they create a harmony. Where when you put them all together, they create this, this full, rich story of Jesus. What we're going to do, the last seven phrases of Christ are actually put pulled together from all four Gospels. None of them are, are all in one Gospel. But the four of them together produce a harmony of the Gospels, which give us the last seven sayings of Christ. Now, the question that we're going to look at today, and this is a question that you really have to to search hard to ask, and that is, is it possible? And how do you forgive the unforgivable? Maybe you were cheated on by a boss. Maybe you had a career that was ruined. Maybe you had a spouse who cheated on you or cheated on you again and again. Or a friend who betrayed you or lied to you or lied about you. Or perhaps a family that deserted you and ignores you. And openly, I've heard of stories where families have said to their face, I wish you were dead. Family that hated you. People that you trusted who stabbed you in the back. Even from supposed Christians, how do you forgive the unforgivable? Oftentimes, leaving behind broken homes, broken marriages, broken promises. How do you forgive by what definition is called unforgivable? Well, it's Friday, 9 a.m. Outside the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, there's a road near the place where the prophet Jeremiah is buried. And there's a rocky hill just behind his grave made of eroded limestone that over the ages it has turned into the face of a person and it's called Skull Hill, known as Golgotha, also called Calvary. And the Skull Hill is the place where the occupying soldiers of the Romans kill criminals. They're paid. To not know the names. They don't care to know the names. They don't care whether they're guilty or whether they're innocent. It does not matter to, uh, to them. They are nothing but executioners, paid to kill. A sloppy, bloody job, but they like it. But this was no ordinary death. This was no ordinary person. This was not a typical day for this death squad. It was a holiday weekend and there were only three people this week. Two were common criminals and the third a preacher who's treated exceptionally harsh. And the crowd seemed exceptionally interested. It was larger than usual for just three. And it was rowdier than usual. And it was noisier than usual. But these guards, they didn't care. They're just there assigned and paid to murder, to kill. Led by a parade of people out of the city, a foreigner helps him carry his cross. And when he arrives at the place of Golgotha, his body is already in shreds, nearly beaten to death, and a crown of six-inch thorns crammed on his head, already more dead than alive they picked up his body and they threw it on the ground threw the cross down and threw his body on top of the cross. And as he was thrown on top the cross, he was stripped of his clothing and they could see that he had been brutally tortured and beaten nearly to death already before he arrived. So as they ripped off his garments, They were ripping off the clotted blood that had attached, reopening his wounds. And they threw him on the cross and began to nail his his hands and his feet. And they nailed his hands and his feet, attached him to the cross by wrapping his arms and his legs with rope. And as they lifted up this cross, it was a different sight for many because... This person was extremely grotesque. As they lifted him up, blood spurting out from the raw wounds, there is Jesus Christ, naked, beaten, bruised, bloody, and exposed to the world. They were good soldiers. They took pride in their work. They were good at it. Who's next? They must have thought. And for fun, they they took the clothes that he was wearing and they began to gamble for them and throw dice at the foot of the cross for sport. As Jesus looked straight at them, he mumbled a prayer. What they did that day was by definition unforgivable, or was it? Luke chapter 23, verse 32 tells us part of that story. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And little did they realize that the person that they had nailed to the cross was the son of god himself and the first words uttered by jesus on that cross were father forgive them for they know not what they do now this is important to know that this event fulfilled prophecy this event this actual even the actual prayer was a fulfillment a prophecy Isaiah 53 12 says he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors with the criminals for he bore the sin of many and made intercession or prayer for the transgressors and what he actually did was, was a reflection, not only a prophecy, but a reflection of the very message that he promoted to his disciples. For he had told them in Matthew 5, 4-4, he says, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. I cannot help but marvel at the words that Jesus Christ begins to speak that were spoken upon that rough, cruel, callous cross. While naked and mocked, his body failing and falling deeper and deeper into levels of shock and distress. No soft bed, no pillows to keep him comfortable for a smooth transition in the last days of his life. No painkillers to ease the pain. His joints dislocated, steel piercing his muscles and ligaments. His flesh filleted, struggling to speak, words of life began to pour from his lips. The soldiers stripped and crucified him. The crowd was blaspheming him. The religious leaders were mocking him. The criminals were reviling him. To those who loved him, they ran except for just a couple. And this was not a wonderful, beautiful event. This was brutal and bloody Terrible, terrible day. He could have called down, the Bible says, a legion of angels to bring revenge upon his persecutors. But instead, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. for they don't know what they are doing. So that leads us to the back, back to that original question that we're going to talk about today. A lot of us, might be wrestling with this. How do you forgive someone who has done something so terrible that it defies any attempt at forgiveness? So we're going to use that one short sentence prayer. Jesus is going to tell us about forgiveness. This is the first thing I want you to write down. Using that small prayer is number one, only God can give you the power to forgive the unforgivable the very first words out of Jesus' mouth were, Father, prayer. Some of you are like, well, I can't, I can't forgive them. I, I can't. It was too harsh. I don't have the ability. What they've done was just implorable. It's too hard. And you're right. You can't forgive them. But with it, God and his power in you, you can forgive them. Some of you are are thinking of somebody right now and you're thinking, oh man, I just, I don't know if I even want to. And, and some of you are like, I've tried and I've tried, but I just, ugh, I just, I keep thinking about it. Maybe your first words need to be father. Father, I need your power, I need your strength, I need your mercy, I need your grace, God, I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to forgive. Here's the second thing his prayer tells us, and that is this, he says, forgive them, which is, I want you to write this down, nothing is beyond the reach of grace. We walked through very briefly some of the actions of the cross, and we're going to be unpacking more of the brutality of the cross over the next several weeks. But knowing the violence and just the, the, the bloody nature of that event, the torture, the mocking, the betrayal, nothing is beyond the reach of God's grace. You don't know what they did. You don't, I was only five. You don't know what they did. Oh, nothing is beyond the reach of grace. But they ruined my life. They hurt my kids. They took my daughter. It was horrible. It's too painful to even disclose and to talk about, to describe that person, that hurt, that pain, those wounds. Nothing is beyond the power and the reach of God's grace. Maybe you know this firsthand because you have felt the reach of God's grace upon your life, and what you think you have done is is unforgivable. God has says nothing is beyond the reach of God's grace. Some of you here are wondering, God, I don't even know if I can come to you. I don't know if I can truly be a follower because God, I've done so many things. I, I don't. My wife doesn't even know. My kids don't even know. God, I wonder if even you know. He says, I know and nothing's beyond the reach of my grace. He says, Father, forgive them. And then he says this. He says, for they know not what they're doing. It's the third thing. Forgiveness does not mean they're not guilty. He says, man, they're doing it, God. They are doing it. They are consciously, purposely nailing these spikes into my hands and into my feet. God, they thought it out when they meticulously beat me to shreds. God, they knew what they were doing when they were punching me in the face and ripping my beard out. God, Father, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. But they didn't realize what they were really doing. They didn't know the extent and the pain and the tragedy. They didn't know but they were doing it. Ignorance does not equal innocence. And this is important to know: Judas was guilty. Pilate was guilty. Caiaphas, the chief priest, who conspired to have Jesus arrested and condemned, guilty. Herod, the weak king of Israel, who basically threw up its hands and did nothing, was guilty. The Roman soldiers were guilty. The Jewish leaders were guilty. The Pharisees and the scribes who conspired and lied were guilty. That shouting mob, all guilty. The spectators who came to cheer and to laugh and to mock, they are guilty. Jesus acknowledges their guilt. He says what they do. He says, God, they, they're doing it and they're, they're consciously choosing to do this. Those who have hurt you are guilty. What your father did, he's guilty. What your husband, what your wife, what your child did was guilty. And to forgive someone is not to ignore the guilt or the pain they cause. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's acknowledging the pain, but choosing to forgive. This is important because some of you are like, I can't forgive because it releases them from the guilt. No, it doesn't release them from the guilt; it releases them from the debt. It's a it's a whole other conversation, but you need to realize forgiveness is releasing a debt, saying, "I'm not going to seek payment for what you've done to me, because Jesus paid it." So I'm going to forgive your guilt. That prayer reveals. Man's greatest need, forgiveness. I want you to write this down. This is number four. He says, for they know not what they do. He says, I want you to write this down. They need forgiveness more than they know. And so do we. See, that prayer tells us that that person who hurts you needs forgiveness more than they realize. And you need forgiveness more than you realize. He says, they don't know the extremity of what they are doing. It's as if Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them because they need forgiveness more than they know. Forgive them because they're in desperate need of forgiveness and they don't even realize it. The same is true with the people who hurt you. It's true. They knew what they were doing when they made that cell phone call, when they wrote that email, when they sent that text. They knew what they were doing when they tore into your heart, when they left, and when they walked out. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't realize how deep it hurts not only to you, but ultimately what it does to themselves. He says, they need forgiveness, God, more than they even know. Sin is on, I wrote this down on on a Facebook this week, and I said, sin is an unfaithful adulteress, our selfish desires, anger, and revenge. It pretends to love us, but only to leave us. You know, some of you, you hang on to that bitterness. You hang on to that, Unforgiveness, you hang on to that anger, and and you you love it and you hold on to it like it like it's the only thing that keeps you alive. And some of you, you're walking around angry at everybody, life because somebody hurt you, and you're hanging on to it like some lover. It will leave you feeling alone. It will abuse you. That that resentment, that unforgiveness, it's not your friend. And you need forgiveness and you need to forgive more than you know. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is freedom most often to the forgiver, keeping our hearts free from the cancer of resentment. This is important because so much that has hurt us is in our past with people who we never may never see again. And this is important because I want you to realize he says, this is interesting. Every one of those people that were shouting, crucify and "Ah," mocking and laughing. And every soldier that beat and whipped and nailed those spikes in. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they didn't want it. Most of them didn't even have a clue that he was offering it. They did not know that he was extending grace to their life and letting it go on his side doesn't mean they didn't have to answer to God for their sin, but it means that Jesus had released from him the judgment of what they were doing upon him. You don't need their permission to forgive them. Some of you are like, man, if I could just talk to my dad one more time, if I could just say one more thing to my husband, if I could just say one more thing to my boss or my my friend, You've long since moved away. It's been 20 years. You haven't talked to each other or they passed away. And you just wish you could talk to one more time. Jesus says, you know what? Whether they know it or not, you can let them go. You can forgive. Some of you, it's time to forgive your dad. It's time to forgive your mom. It's time to forgive your ex. It's time to forgive your children. It's time to forgive that friend who you have completely lost contact with. They don't know it, but you can forgive. You can let that go. You can find freedom. As they gambled for his clothes, they had no idea, no interest in the grace and mercy that Jesus was extending, but he did it anyway. Forgiveness does not need the forgiveness or the permission of the offender. Here's the last thing. And that is, it is possible to forgive the unforgivable. By remembering that Jesus forgave us when we were unforgivable. That whole prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who is that they? Who's the they? You know, if I were to have you write down, I want you to list off, forgive them. Who's the them that he was talking about? They don't know what they're doing. Who's the them and they? Go ahead, take a minute, just think through who is the them and they he was talking about. Might have been the soldiers probably initially. It might have been the Pharisees, those mocking him and judging him and condemning him. It might have been Pilate who was back up in the palace, ignoring the fact that he condemned an innocent man to death. It might have been his soldiers uh, or his friends, his disciples who ran out on him and didn't defend him and help him. It might have been. You know who else? It was you, and it was me. He was praying for you, and he was praying for me. He said, "No, no, 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 no! I'm different. I would never crucify Jesus." My thing: I'm told I'm a. De- i am i am ai would never be as, as violent and malicious. as "I would never nail spikes into the feet and hands of somebody. I would never beat somebody." That is that is crazy. But you have. And you are, and you have many times by rejecting him to pursue your own selfish life and ignoring his life for you. If we were there, we would have been in that crowd shouting. We would have been the ones running away. We would have been saying, stick it to him again, hit him again, yeah, he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a criminal, let him have it. We're not that different. Matthew 27 22 paints us a picture of that crowd. He says, Pontius Pilate is talking. He says, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crimes has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead, an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood, which he was not. He says, it's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. My cry is verse 25 the people answered his blood is on us and our children i read that verse and i think god i would have been in that crowd or might have been a disciple that ran away or someone who just was confused and didn't believe god that that would have been me i don't know what i would have done but god i know that when you said god forgive them when you said father forgive them i'm the them and I read that verse in 25 and he says, let his blood be on us and our children. I think, God, let your blood be on this church, on this people. God, let your blood be on my children. I pray, God, let my children know the blood of Jesus. God, let that blood be on me. And they were they were proclaiming something that they had no idea was a proclamation of faith for the generations to come that his blood was truly on us and on our children. Do you know what often keeps us from forgiving people who hurt us? At the root of it is this. We think that we're better than they are. Some of you think, well, I would never do that. Or you think of what your friend said to you, man, I would never lie behind someone's back. I would never cheat. I would never steal. I would never murder. I would n- I would never drink and drive. I would never walk out on some man, I would never treat anybody the way that I was treated. How foolish and deluded for us to think that. It is our arrogance that keeps us from the hard step of forgiving the unforgivable. And as good as we think we are, we are blinded by our own pride. We lose our tempers and we wish people were dead. We despise the successful and desire for them to lose everything they have and to covet their possessions. We have lustful fantasies about people. We say stupid things and we break promises and we are guilty. We are really not better than those that have hurt us. His prayer was for you. Romans 5, 6 says, you see at just the right time, When we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the guilty. That's us. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. You know, if if someone's good, you might give your life for a good person. But would you give your life for an evil person? Would you give your life to the person that took your family? Would you die for someone who killed your own children? Who robbed you, who stole from you, who broke you, who crushed you. Would you die for them? Very rarely will anyone die for the ungodly. He says, but we were guilty. But God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were guilty, while we were haters of God, Christ died for us. It is possible to forgive the unforgivable when you realize you were the unforgivable. I think it is enormously significant that the first words on the cross were words of forgiveness. Because in that, we are told that Jesus came to establish forgiveness. He is at the heart of, A man of grace, he came to establish a people who would be an oasis of forgiveness. We are to walk, if you are a follower of Christ, the essence of who we are. We are to be people of forgiveness. We're going to unpack this in our live teams this week. Jesus said one of the most scary things I've ever read in the Bible, when he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. If you don't forgive those that have hurt you, neither will a Father forgive you. That's one of those scary verses where we try to explain, well, what God really meant was we really need to forgive. No, he says it. If you don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Period. It's simple. There's no magical mystery meaning in the Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew. It means if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. We are to be people of God grace people who walk in forgiveness and if you struggle with forgiveness you need to get on your face with God and get his power to forgive because it will ultimately keep you from knowing God in a very intimate and special way it's time to let dad go it's time to let your wife or your husband be released from that pain it's time to forgive your children It's time to forgive that neighbor, that uncle, that aunt. It's time to forgive. As we head into Easter, let's start by forgiving those who have hurt us. I have an assignment for you this week. It's on the back of your worship guide. And if you did not get one, you need to get one. There's some out in the hallway, I'm sure, in the little cubby hole. Get one because in it there's some instructions. I want you to get an index card this week. Look on the back of your worship guide. And I want you to write on the top, I want you to write the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing or they don't know what they are doing. I want you to write on the top of that index card, Father, forgive them. Then I want you to write the names of the people that have hurt you. And I want you to write down one one word next to them as to what they have done that describes the hurt that they have caused you. And then I want you to do something crazy. I want you to pray for them. I want you to go down that list. I want you to pray for them. If it's your parents or a friend or an ex or a brother or a sister, I want you to pray. A friend, I want you to pray for them. And as you pray for them, I want you to write one word next to them. Forgiven. And go to the next person. Pray for them. Write forgiven. And then after you pray for them, I want you to rip it up. I don't want you to keep it. I want you to flush it down the toilet. I want you to burn it or bury it in a field because they're forgiven. And love keeps no record of wrong. And Forgive. Forgive those who hurt you in your childhood. Forgive your parents, forgive your wife or husband or your ex, forgive your friend, your sister, your brother, forgive that boss, forgive your neighbor. You see, forgiveness puts you at a crossing. Forgiveness puts you at a crossing. It intersects you with real people in real life. It intersects you between the tough choices of holding grudges and resentment or forgiveness, a crossing of two wheels, gods or mine, bitterness or forgiveness, rage or mercy, revenge or compassion, unforgiveness or grace, And when you come to this intersection, what, in which way will you turn? Will you be offended and hurt and you turn to the past and relive it over and over? Or when you get to that intersection where you make a right turn in a relationship and find yourself at the cross, the crossroads will always lead you to the cross where you will hear, if you will listen deeply, the prayer of Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have forgiven us and you give us the power of grace and forgiveness, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us to know and to realize that deeply, Father, in Jesus' name. I'm gonna pray for you in a minute, but I want you to watch this video and I'm gonna pray for you afterwards. ask you guys to do something today. And I was watching that. I think that's a powerful declaration of grace in our life. And, and, um, if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I will forgive. I will be a person of grace. And some of you you are struggling with it. you have somebody in mind and you're struggling. I want to give you a chance to respond this morning as a declaration of a prayer to God. And and I want to pray together with you. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I will forgive. And I want you just to stand up where you are and say, you know, I will forgive. I want to I want to pray for you, and uh, but I want you to pray. When you're when you feel like you've been beaten down, will your first words be "Father"? At the moment of his pain and suffering, his first words were a cry to the Father. Will that be your prayer? Will that be your cry? so many of times we replay it we replay it we think about it we think about it will you take a minute just to talk to the father so if you're right where you are especially those of you that are standing that need to let something go i want you to talk to the father maybe your prayer today is father forgive me give me the power and the strength to forgive because you forgave me I will forgive go ahead and talk to the Father right now go ahead and if you want to you can lift up your hands as a sign of mercy and forgiveness and grace and just call out to God say God I will forgive them if you have somebody in mind I want you to in your prayer to say their name I want you to say who they are I want you to talk to the Father about them mention them to God He knows already how grace works Is confession is is found, Uh, power is found through our confession of faith. God forgive us and God help us to forgive. Take a moment just to talk to the Father about the person who's hurt you. Now, let me pray for you. Some of you here, would you keep your eyes closed for a moment? Some of you here, you're saying, you know what? I'm the one who needs forgiveness. That's me. I'm the one. I am the offender. I am the guilty one. I need forgiveness. Will anyone here be bold as our heads are bowed, but still bold before the Lord and declare and raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. You say And say I'm the guilty one Raise your hands You know what that's me I am the guilty one I am the them God you see the men and women All over this room with their hands raised God I thank you for the grace of God I thank you for the power The unmerited undeserved Love and favor you have on us God I don't understand it It's amazing it's scandalous God your grace Makes no sense at all Thank you. God, I pray that you would help these men and women to know the grace and the mercy and love of God. If you raise your hand, just ask God to forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive you and wash you clean of all unrighteousness. Talk to him. Say, God, forgive me. Right where you are, just tell him, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. That assignment that I gave you this week for that index card or piece of paper, whatever, and you write down those names and that one word, I mean that. That is so life freeing. I remember when I was a teenager, I think I shared this story before. You can come on over, Sean, if you want. Uh, I remember the story. I was uh, probably 16 years old. I was hanging out on a Sunday night after our church service. Uh, 1617 and there was this truck driver passing through the church was on a highway big old burly muscular hairy guy Scared us when he got out of his semi-rig and he came over to us We're like because we're hanging out in the parking lot late after church on a sunday night And he came with tears. He said man, I just need to talk to somebody And he began to pour out his heart of All the things that he had done things that had been done to him. And we're just a couple of teenagers with this old, tough, big truck driver. And I remember God just put it on my heart and I said, let's let's write those things down. He was like, that's weird. So we wrote them down and there was a big old field next to the church at the time and we walked right out in that field. I said, it's time for you to let him go. time to let go of those that have hurt you and to know that you are forgiven. So he wrote it down. And I said, when you're ready, I want you to rip it up and bury it and put it in that hole. And we're just, and we walked back to the parking lot and I saw this big old hairy man get on his face in that dirt and begin to cry to God for grace and mercy to forgive and the power to be and he walked off that field like a new man. He was glowing and he was strong and confident in grace and the power of God had filled his life. And he got back in his truck and drove away and we never saw him again. But I know in that field, someplace out in Rockwall is his sins buried because of the power of God to forgive. So do that this week. Take a step of faith. Watch what God does to heal your heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.